Our scripture today is from Luke 3, a detailed passage about the ministry of John the Baptist. We chose this passage for its main theme of repentance because it goes along with getting ready for a guest. When people come to visit, a house cleaning is usually in order. When Jesus was about to arrive on the scene, God sends John to prepare the way for him. Souls, like houses, need regular attending to in order to be livable. John's timeless reminder still preaches today. As I've been looking over the passage and doing study on it this week, I have had questions. Thank God that he gives us inquisitive minds, which means that our faith never need be stagnant. The Spirit always has new ideas for us to ponder and new ways for us to think about those stories with which we are well acquainted. So we're going to read this uh, passage today. I'm going to read it, and then I'll pause, and we're going to um, listen to some of the questions that I've had, along with some answers that I've come up with, both from my own reflection and also from some resources that I consulted. So this is the word of the Lord from Luke 3, starting with verse 1. In the 15th year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was ruler of Galilee, and his brother Philip, ruler of the region of Iturea, and Traconitus, and Lysanias, ruler of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went to all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance, for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall be made straight and the rough ways made smooth and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. John said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now, the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then shall we do? In reply, he said to them, Whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none, and whoever has food must do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked him, Teacher, what should we do? He said to them, Collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what should we do? He said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation and be satisfied with your wages. As the people were, people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So 
With many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people. Let us pray. Oh, Jesus, we thank you for being among us today. We praise you, Lord, for those like John who helped the world to get ready for you and how he is still helping us prepare for your advent. Fill in the gaps of what I've prepared by the power and love of your spirit and speak to us, we pray. Amen. So we're going to address six questions that came up for me. And as we think through them, you're going to have your own questions and your own answers about something that we're talking about. And I encourage you to write those things down, to ponder them, talk about them in your lunch or your family or whoever today. Question number one, why did John the Baptist need to come? What is God's role in having John be there? There are three reasons from this passage that we know about John from the scripture. One is that John's arrival was foretold. In addition to Isaiah quoted here, the prophet Malachi said that a messenger would come to prepare the way of the Messiah. When the angel comes in the Christmas story to talk to Elizabeth and Zechariah, the angel says that John is going to be filled with the Holy Spirit and turn many of the people to the Lord their God and make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Later, Zechariah prophesies that his son would be called a prophet of the Most High and will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give the knowledge of salvation to this people for the forgiveness of sins. God keeps promises, and John is evidence of that. Another reason why John came before Jesus is that there would be a clear delineation between what has happened in the past and what God was doing in this moment. The names at the beginning of the chapter are a timestamp of when John was there. The opening sentences read a little bit like a fanfare. Have you ever been to a community event and all of the dignitaries are paraded out? The people who are serving and this is this person and this is this person and maybe it doesn't have, any, have anything to do with why you're there except that they are serving. That's a little bit like what's going on here. It's 30 years or so after Jesus was born, but God is now ready to go fully public and reveal the Messiah who would change everything about the world. In fact, some of these people that are listed are people who are going to be present at Jesus's crucifixion. John is part of helping people to realize the kind of change that God is bringing And although the people mentioned in the scripture are the most recognized civic and religious leaders of the region for their time, when God chooses to have his grand opening, they know nothing about it. They're not even aware of it. But John goes to where the regular people live in the regions where they are. God calls his servants to be faithful and then sends them where he wants them to go. Also, John is kind of like an advanced man, kind of like how bands have an opening act before the headliner comes on stage. John comes beforehand to warm up the audience and get them ready for the real star. The other picture that the Isaiah passage gives us here is what John quotes about himself. In its original context, the Isaiah passage were a promise of Yahweh's return to people who had been in exile to people who had felt abandoned by God. And so when the word of the Lord comes to John in the wilderness, he knows it's time. John knows his role 
to go and proclaim that Messiah was coming. John is akin to a courier who goes before a king to clear the roads and straighten the paths and fill in the valleys. This was done so the travel would be easy for the ruler to get to the people. John's job is to remove obstacles so that everyone could see Jesus. This leads us to our second question. Why repent before God shows up? Isn't that Jesus's job? Now, we might answer this by thinking about our own Advent theme this year. Why do we clean the house before people come to visit? Well, besides making them feel welcome, we know that preparation for having others over is helpful. Have you ever tried to cook in a dirty kitchen? Well, besides yuck, it takes so much time and it sidelines the real purpose for what is being done. If we have things cleaned and ready when guests arrive, then they don't have to move everything around when they get there. By organizing beforehand, we can prioritize people. We can maximize our time together, which is the point of the visit. Besides this, regular cleaning helps to maintain our home. When things get let go, it can cause long-term damage. And then there's so much more work to get things back to where they should be. John's job was to prepare people for Jesus coming The metaphor Isaiah gives is of a physical road. But we might read that metaphor, the road, as hearts and minds of the people. The king is on his way, and it isn't the road that needs fixing. It's the souls of those who will welcome him. Jesus is coming to do incredible healing. Jesus is going to change structures and systems of the entire religious establishment. It's going to change how people understand God. And so John's invitation to invite them to repentance allows far more engagement when Jesus comes. Third question, why is John preaching with such a sense of urgency? Now, I'm kind of being nice about this because John is really a fire and brimstone kind of speaker. He doesn't hold back. He sounds so angry. You brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Don't think that being Abraham's ancestor is going to save you. God can use these rocks just as much as he can use you. Even now, the axe is ready to be cut down. And if it doesn't bear fruit, it will be thrown into the fire. He might as well say, those of you who don't bear fruit. That's actually what he's saying. There are different ways that a house can be cleaned. And sometimes it takes an aggressive approach. God sent John and gave him these words to say, John is considered the last of the Old Testament prophets and he does not hold back. And we wonder why. Why? Maybe because God means business. John is emphasizing an response so people could conform to the change that Jesus was going to be ushering in. John calls out what he sees. Dead spirituality, misplaced reliance on cultural traditions, people showing up outwardly with zero intention of changing inwardly. John's preaching reminds us that we serve a God who wants us to do more than go through the motions of religion. We serve a God who wants all of who we are so that we can be alive in him.
Fourth question, why am I surprised at how the people respond? You see, in our culture, in our time, we think that this kind of preaching turns people off. But the opposite happens here. The crowd is ready for a change. They understand the truth of the message. They recognize how far they are from how far God wants them to be. These people want to know what God expects. Last week, we saw how Jeremiah was discouraged because no one was listening. No one wanted to hear what God had to say. But here, the people are eager. They're eager to repent. They're eager to obey. What do we, what do we have to do? They ask him. Luke says they're filled with expectation and hope. Now remember, this is, it's been about 400 years since a prophet has spoken. There's been silence. Suddenly God is speaking and the people see themselves in the mirror that John is holding up for them. It's like when we live in a mess in our house. Why do we live when it's messy in our house? Well, maybe we're lazy. Maybe we have so many other things to do. Sometimes we just don't care. Sometimes we say, why should I clean it when it's just going to get dirty again? <laughs> Maybe there's comfort in the disorder. A house is one thing. Our souls are another. John is telling the people that they're not living as God intended. One is going to come who's going to clean even more. If you've ever read the tiny book, My Heart, Christ's Home, by Robert Munger, you know that this is part of the message. It was written in 1951. Our friend David Cole actually heard the original message as it was preached in church. Jesus comes to live in this guy's house, bringing light and music, and the guy invites him in. Jesus, I'm so glad that you're here. There's so much love Jesus, I'm so happy to have you here. I want to show you my home. I want you to be comfortable here. And all of a sudden, the guy starts to see his life through Jesus' perspective. And so as Jesus is shown the house, they go through each room, and they see how they can enjoy their new life together and also what changes need to be made. At one point, Jesus says, this is so funny, he goes, there is a peculiar odor in this house. Like something died in here. I think it's in the hall closet upstairs. So Jesus starts to head up there, and the guy knows exactly what's in there. It's a locked door. He doesn't want Jesus to see it. And he says, yeah, I'm not going to unlock that door. <laughs> and Jesus says, well, I'm not going to put up with that smell, and starts to walk away. And as the guy has seen Jesus walk away, because Jesus is going to go sleep on the back porch, the man says, okay, I'll give you the key, but you have to open it up and clean it because I don't have the strength to do it. And Jesus says, I know you don't. If you give me the key and you give me permission, I'll take care of it. So Jesus opens the door, throws away the putrid stuff, cleans it all up, paints it all up, and fixes it like new. We want to get rid of what is rotting in our lives but we don't always have the courage. We don't always know where to start. We don't always want to ask God to help us. 
From this passage, we might consider what those things are and open ourselves up for the truths that God sees, for the experiences that he wants to give us, the freedom that comes from being cleansed. Question five. What are some practical takeaways here, Pastor? Hmm, Glad you asked. In response to John's teaching, they ask what they should do. And John says three things. Share, don't be greedy, have integrity. Share, being generous with what you have. That's what Megan was talking about today. If you have two coats, give one away. If you have extra food, give some to others. People who have plenty need to give. That is God's way to give to those who don't. We shouldn't hold on to what we have while others have none. Don't be greedy. The tax collectors came. In the New Testament, the tax collector is synonymous with sinner. And John says, only collect what is required. Deal honestly with those that you serve. Stop cheating. Stop cheating with your finances to get ahead. Have integrity. The soldiers came. The soldiers were extorting people. Here, extort means to shake down. They were using bribes. They were were threatening people. And John says, stop. You are in a position of power. When you are in a position of power, don't abuse it. Use your power to protect others. Share. Don't be greedy. Have integrity. What good lessons for us. But we also know from this that God cares about everyone, not just a few. Jesus' life was about lifting up the poor and the vulnerable and the oppressed. His death was about raising up those who had been brought low by life and also those who had made bad choices. So what does God say to us today about these practical lessons? Is there an, an area in your life where you really aren't honoring God? Where there's something dead that he wants to help you clean? Our actions show the condition of our heart. So what needs to be gotten rid of? What needs to be added in so that we reflect more clearly the God who made us? So that we can receive Jesus as our guest at Christmas this year. Question six, how does John sidestep the will of the people? In the Gospels, we read how Jesus often knows the minds of those around him and how he miraculously responds to what they're thinking. Here, John does the same thing. Did you catch it? He answers people's questions that are on their hearts without them saying a word. It makes sense that they thought that he was the Messiah, His words stirred something in them that they had never felt before. But John does what is best by pointing them to God. Remember our tagline from Jeremiah last week, the one that I want us to lean into for Advent this year. The Lord is my righteousness. That's the point of John's life. That is the message that he has for these people and for us today. John isn't promoting himself or his ideas. His preaching has deep roots in Hebrew scriptures. He knows his place. He will not supersede the Lord that he has come to serve. And in this, John communicates a needed message about Jesus. He says the one who is coming is more powerful than he. The arrival of the true Messiah means not just baptism with water, but with fire and with spirit. And those who have made a turn toward God will be gathered up 
those whose lives are producing the fruit that God is, is building and, and growing in them. And those who reject him will be let go. John models a humble attitude toward the one who will be revealed as Savior and Lord. And John's hope when the time comes is the people will say, when Jesus comes, Lord, you are my righteousness. In verse 18, Luke says that with these and many other exhortations, John was proclaiming the good news to the people. It's good news that we have redemption and that evil doesn't have the final word. It's good news that our souls can be freed from what harms us. Even judgment is good news because it gives the opportunity to turn around and repent. We who live in the age of the church have been given the gift of time where mercy is available at any moment of the day. All of us need to know what the boundaries are of what is good and acceptable and right and what is not. And God tells us that. We don't have to guess. We all know that we are sinners, and it is a relief when God deals truthfully with us because then we can know the joy that comes with forgiveness. So today, let us give thanks for the ministry of John the Baptist and for the boldness and the selflessness of how he made Jesus known. Those who have a prophetic gift help the church to do the painful and necessary work of repentance and reconciliation by pointing out how our houses need to be cleaned. Isaiah says that all flesh will see the salvation of God. May that be so in our lives and our world as we await the coming Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.